It's Tuesday, April 13th, uh, no, 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 12th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast. On today's episode, comedian Steve Levine, Stephen Levine, and uh, a lot more of stuff on here. Just, just listen. All that starts now. Welcome to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast, coming at you as always from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Tirana. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for listening. Went with, uh, went with mellow waste today. I don't know, I'm just feeling uh, a little more mellow, a little less energetic. Even though a lot of times I start the podcast and I'm exhausted, I'm just, I don't know, calm, I don't, I don't know. Thanks for listening. My guest today, Steve Levine. Uh, what a good guy. Great comic. Uh, one of my favorites to watch. Hilarious. Observational comedyist. Uh, he's just, he's just, he's got so many quotable lines in his act and we talk about it. My first ever time on stage, not as a comic, I did like a humorous speech. I stole... Mostly Ellen DeGeneres bits and a Steve Levine bit, which I get into with him a little bit. But uh, that's just the kind of comic he is. He's very quotable. Very funny. Steve Levine. Stephen Levine is my guest. <laughs> All right. I should just say off the top, come to Via Norte Restaurant tomorrow night, 938 College Street for the first of many... Uh, Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show. It's back. I've talked about this before. It's back. It'll be every single Wednesday, 8.30 sharp, bringing you the hottest comedy, hottest comedy around. The Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show. Yeah. Let's bring in a little Mike Bennett for this. Come on. Waste, waste of time. All right. Uh, how you doing? Remember to follow the show on uh, Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour, Facebook.com slash JD Comedy Hour, and email the show pod at JD Comedy Hour.com. And uh, even though fucking GoDaddy, I had probably. Uh, this is. So, I'm so mad. Mad? I had. Uh, my email was at capacity, at, which I did not know was even a thing or possibility. Uh, I, I was at 100% storage, but I didn't know this. They had sent no warnings or anything like that and then there's a bunch of emails that i didn't get so that's fun and i called them and there's nothing i could do so go uh uh i'm just not feeling did you did you, did you just not feel like it sometimes that's me right now 
Maybe I'll just cut to Steve now. One a minute. I guess I just went into a dark YouTube wormhole of uh, fellow comedian Josh Haddon. JoshHaddon.com. Check him out. He uh, he passed away from cancer just before his 30th burst birthday in uh, this past February. And uh, man, I don't know. I just he's got all these videos online. If you go to Josh Haddon on YouTube, he has all these. Uh, he was on a quest to. He he wrote this book called The Funny Thing About Cancer which is looking at it with a kind of through humorous lens, dark humorous lens, but humorous nonetheless, to try to make people patients of cancer that are suffering with this and their families to realize that they're not alone and just a different coping coping mechanism and the way to look through it. And so I just, uh, he had all these videos, the funny thing about cancer, he did all these different episodes. I think there's about 11 of them on YouTube. Go check him out. He's a great guy. He had an awesome message about living life to the fullest and, and doing what you want to do and and just nothing else, just living like there is no tomorrow. He was given three years ago, he was given, actually not three years ago, two years ago, he was diagnosed with esophageal, I don't know if I'm saying that right, type three, or type three, stage three cancer rather, and was given 3 to 5% chance that he'll make it to three years, and he did not make it. And so, I know this is very heavy for podcasts, but this is just the mood I'm in, so I figure why not be real and, and uh, go into it? Why not? And so, uh, Josh, uh, in, in his quest to kind of make the world a better place and sp- you know spread the message, the important message of, of really living truthfully and being honest with yourself and doing what uh, you want to do and what you think you should be doing. I mean, this guy died just before his 30th birthday. That's insanely young, and it's a horrible, horrible tragedy. And uh, so I do recommend you go either to thefunnythingaboutcancer.com or joshhadden.com. He was a comedian. He also owned a comedy club in Windsor, the Quarry Comedy Club, and also two uh, comedy festivals, the uh, Durham Region Comedy Festival, I believe, and, and the Border City there in Windsor Comedy Club. Anyway, he, he spreads his uh, message. I had reached out for him to do the podcast because I wanted him to to personally talk about it and because he brought such passion and truth to his uh, mission statement, and uh, we were exchanging um, messages online about about you know lining up a date and he he passed away before i ever got him in studio it's uh very tragic and sad and i have never talked about it on the podcast before look i didn't even know i'd never even met josh but we have a million mutual friends and um you know he was he was a comic and you're sort of uh you have that bond as fellow comedians and so i want i really wanted him to come in studio but that Unfortunately, never happened. So, if you want to uh, kind of go through, <laughs> through watch some videos that are somewhat dark, but it will inspire you to live uh, the best possible life you can, uh, go to joshhadden.com or just search Josh Haddon H A D D O N on YouTube. And with that, with that, I'm gonna bring on Steve Levine. Sorry, Steve. Didn't mean to, uh, at least it's not a live performance. You have to perform uh, after a cancer rant. But uh, fuck cancer. 
Live life to the absolute fullest. Uh, tell the ones you love that you love them on the daily. And surround yourself by the ones you love. And it's really, that's all that's important. And that was really Josh's message. So rest in peace, Josh Haddon. I know this is a couple months after, but I just found myself um, looking at it online and going through it. So um, just do your best out there, everybody. And with that, Steve, Steve Levine, one of my favorites, comedian. Uh, all right, I'm going to get right to it. So enjoy my chat now. This is a very light chat. It's 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 way better than this dark, morbid fucking monologue. Anyway, enjoy my chat with the one, the only, Steve Levine. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, Comedy Hour. Because the minimum is like 500, you gotta get 500 fucking CDs or right. something. Oh, can I swear Ooh. on this podcast? Are you, yeah. <laughs> we haven't started yet. Is it HBO? Yet. Yeah. <laughs> but you can swear. Uh, actually, let's just get into it. Why not? The, the, the person you're hearing there right now is uh, my guest, of course. And he sits in here across from me in Lemon Press Studios. And what can I say about this guy? Man, oh man. He's uh, one of the best in the biz. A veteran, if you will. He's been uh, in the stand-up game for... 30 years now, right? You're it's your 30th year this it's year? It's like uh, I celebrated my 29th anniversary this week that I'm uh, performing. Oh, nice. This Amazing. Is, in, the, in the exact same room, I did my first amateur night, actually. Oh, yeah, because it used to be... It was the original Yuck Yucks. Original well, not Yuck the, Yuck. Sorry, it, it was originally, not the original. Yuck, right, the original one was in Yorkville, then it moved to Uptown where... Well, no, it didn't move. They opened another one. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so okay. there was one at Young and Eglinton, and that's right. the first one I got dragged down to on an amateur night. So yeah. it, the stage is in a different location, but it's actually the same building 29 years ago. Am amazing. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. And uh, what can I say about this guy? Well, he's done... Uh, Major comedy festival. He's been to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, the Halifax Comedy Festival there on the CBC. He's had his own uh, specials on CTV Comedy Now and comics on CBC back in the day. Comedy at Club 54 that I remember you from those appearances. You were on three times, is that right? I was on three times. Yeah, I, I actually... I'll, we're going to get into that a little bit because I have something to share with you. I've been okay. dying to share with you when we worked uh, together in Ottawa recently, cool. but I thought I'll keep it for the podcast. All right. And... Um, I just love this guy. One of the best in the biz. One of the funniest. One of my favorites to watch. You, you, you have this this ability. Like your material just sticks with people. It'll just because it's uh, a lot of observational stuff, and yeah. you'll go through life and go, oh fuck yeah, that bit, that Steve Levine bit. Get, anyway, yeah, I get the uh, funny because it's true comedian. <laughs> right. That's who I am. That's right. There, <laughs> there he is, Steve Levine. Stephen Levine and is in studio. How are you, man? I'm doing great. It's great to see you again. It's, yeah. It's been a couple weeks now. It's been a couple <laughs> weeks. We work together in absolute comedy. And like I said, I just love fucking watching you. I can hear the same material every every night of the weekend and laugh as hard on the Sunday as I did on the Thursday. It's good because I do the same material every weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I work, still... Works out for both of us. I still... One of my favorites that you did... Uh, well, that you do, but uh, that's really stuck with me that weekend is the door opening multiple doors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny. It's like, for those listening who may not know the bit, it's... Uh, 
I don't want to butcher it, but it's like when when someone opens multiple doors for you, you feel like royalty. You're like, oh my god, and then you feel like the need to have to switch up your the way you say thank you. You want to switch it up. You don't want to be repetitive. So like, I think I think you just did it better than I do. It actually, it's, <laughs> and it's like uh, thank you, thanks, thanks a lot, thanks a lot, muchas gracias. And the last one is. I love you. There you go. <laughs> you mesmerized it. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you, on the Sunday, I was having, because uh, Jen came to the show on right. Sunday, and, and we were both tears coming out of the, the eye holes of our faces. Um, let's, let's go back a little bit, because like I was telling you off the top, what I like to do with the podcast is people may or may not, like you said, know you from stage or your TV appearances or whatever. But uh, So what I like to do to, with the podcast is introduce you to the listeners, introduce... The other side of Steve Levine. Ah, yes. And uh, get to know you a little bit. So you, you're celebrating your 29th year, so you said in 1987, February, you got dragged down to the Yuck Yucks Yorkville. Who dragged you down there? What? what? Not Yorkville, the Young and Eglinton one. Oh, the Young and Egg one. Yes. Oh, I thought you, okay, right. Yeah, what am I saying? Yeah, what are you saying? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so you got dragged down to that one. Who 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 dragged you there? Who dragged me down? My, my cousin, who... Uh, Previously, was living with uh, another Torontonian comedian, uh, Lawrence Morgenstern. Oh, Morgie. You know, and it was one of those, oh, you're funny, why don't you try the amateur night? You think you're so funny, you know, I can get you on, I know Lawrence. And so I put it in someone else's hands, and so I literally got dragged down. Like, you're on next Tuesday, so you better write something. And you're very meticulous about your material. It's very calculated, very, very tight, like last for minutes. It's crazy. So back then, did you have that same approach? Did you think, like, did you really put a lot of thought into your first set or you just thought, I'll just get up there and, and at least get, get one out of the way and then maybe take it more seriously? Or what was your thinking there? Uh, no, it was definitely written. There was there was no way I was going to, you know, try and come up with something funny while I was standing on stage. I mean, right. Horrendous stage fright for me to even attempt to do something like that. I mean, I love doing comedy. One, you know, loved, thought I could be able to do it, but thought there's no way I can get on a stage in front of strangers and open my mouth and have words come out. Um, but I, I, you know, that's why I was dragged down. That's why I had never, you know, attempted to even do an amateur night before. But it, uh, it worked. And it's like most comedians will tell you or have told you the first time. The nervous energy usually helps, mm-hmm. and you you do fairly well. And I actually i i did I did great. I mean, great for my first time ever on stage in yeah. front of people. You know, f- you know, bombed many, 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 many times after that. But the first time is ex- it's exciting, you know, and it, somehow it worked. And I got the I got the bug and kept going back. Were you a fan of comedy? Is that what? Gr- or was huge, this gr- yeah, huge fan of comedy. You know. So who were your guys growing up? Okay, I'm gonna really date myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day with Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Cheech and Chong, you know, Robin Williams, uh, uh, you know, Seinfeld, probably the biggest influence on what I do. Um, you know, Robert Klein, the, the old school guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really gonna date myself now. I remember my parents would watch the Ed Sullivan show late at night. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would, it was too late for me. So I would sneak into my closet in my bedroom, put my ear against the wall to listen to the TV in the other room <laughs> just to like catch the comedians. I just, yeah. I loved the comedians and I, I just, I've always loved comedians and our, and my friends and I would just, you know, get the, uh, you know, the Cheech and Chong album and just scream ourselves from laughing, just listen to it over and over and over again. And, um, you know, when George Carlin class clown came out back in the, I guess that was seventies, early seventies. I mean, it was, 
I loved comedians. I just loved stand-up comedy. And when you did it that first time, you said you got the bug. Were you were you like, holy shit, I'm I'm in this world now? Did you ever consciously think of that, or just slowly progressed into this thing you kept doing? Slowly progressed. Right. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think I was in it for a couple years. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I was something I wanted to do, was scared to do it, did it. But it took me, you know, having huge stage fright. I mean, that that was the biggest hurdle for me to overcome was the stage fright. Um, I've I've always been, you know, as people would say, oh, you're a funny guy or whatever. So I was fairly funny. I could write ideas, had a fairly good sense of humor. But to actually open my mouth in front of strangers was the the highest hurdle that I had to get over. You mentioned the stage fright. Is that something that's still kind of there a little bit before? Like, because I'm curious. After 29 years of performing, do you still get that? I have huge. I I don't think I have any less stage fright than I've ever had in my entire life. Right. I can only do stand up comedy. I I you know I I've emceed weddings. I've uh, um. You know, done other things where I have to speak in front of strangers, and I don't like it. I'm not comfortable doing it. It's it's bizarre that I can be you know in this profession for 29 years, yeah, and do not like being on stage. I mean, comedy, I don't mind it. I don't, I don't mind. You know, I've gotten used to it. It's something I just, you know, well, you got to do it. You just said your name. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna look silly if you don't go up there or if you just (laughs) run off screaming. So, I force myself to do it, even though I'm not. I'm not. I've never been 100% comfortable actually performing comedy. Right. Well, we talked about it a lot in Ottawa when we just worked there together. And uh, I remember, I think it was on the Friday early show or something like that. We were talking before. The MC was up. And you're like, this is so weird. You're like, I still, after 29 years, can't wrap my head around this. This is so fucking weird that we get to do. Like, I'm here right now. In the green room, there's a room full of people, and in a couple of minutes, I got to be up there making that room full of people laugh. Like, yeah, it, I just, I, I mean, I just performed last night, and uh, it was a pro am night they have at, at Absolute, and there's like, I was the ninth guy on the stage. I'm like, do they really need another fucking comedian? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're all doing the exact same job. Yeah. Like, just get one guy. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't hire nine plumbers to come over to your house, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. You know, you're, you've done your 15. Now uh, Jim's going to come in and, yeah. you know, then another guy. Like, how many fucking comedians do you need on one show? It was like ridiculous. But, you know, you do it. That's, that's, you do it. It's a bizarre, it's a bizarre, but I am, a lot of professions are bizarre, but I, I find it, it's a weird profession. It's very weird. And, and I, cause I think of all those things too before, like going up on the stage leading up to, and I'm like, I, I almost convinced myself that I can't do it. But then as soon as I get up there, I forget all that. You just got to do it. It's like fight or flight. You just... Yeah, you just do it. You just do it. They've just introduced you. Yeah. You've got to go. Like, you're you're, you're up. But, you know, like a lot of sports or whatever, you know, in hockey, your line's been called. You hop over the boards. Oh, I guess I'm a professional hockey player. I better do it. Uh, Let's go back to to your early days let's talk about the scene around toronto and canada because because it's famously known in the 80s there's a huge comedy boom was was that was there such a thing happening in canada or was that more yeah I, thing? I got in at the very the very end of it right because i think it was like the probably the 80s was the big boom i mean there i mean i i've only i only obviously started out in toronto and i've only pretty much worked just in canada but you know, like I've heard the stories and watched the documentaries on, you know, Boston, there'd be like 10 clubs and comedians would be running around all over town doing a set here, doing a set, doing, you know, 
So I got in at the end of that. So it was, but there was still, uh, it was, it was certainly probably bigger than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was less exposure on TV. I think, you know, you, you, if you wanted to see it, it was, you had to go, you know, it's like a, when they would black out a football game. If you yeah, want to see the football game, you got to go to the game. There's no YouTube. Like it's, it's everywhere now. Yeah. So I think, I mean, for me, like, uh, probably, uh, an evening at the improv kind of ruined it for live standup for, for a period of time. I think it's making a, a, a comeback now, or certainly in the last 10 years has made a, a bigger comeback. People are going back out to see live comedy you know the same as like movies people thought oh the the dvd that's the end of that's the end of movies who's going to leave their house but you know they're still doing yeah just the same right exactly and it's such a live art form i mean some of my favorite comics you watch them on on tv and it's like oh man i've seen that bit live and i'm not able to breathe it's so funny and then it's funny on tv but it there's nothing like watching it live the well, energy in the room, the other people. Oh, yeah. You know. I mean, I talk to people that are huge comedy fans, and they've never seen live comedy. Right. Like, you'll be uh, at the club, you know, like, when we were in Ottawa or whatever, and I go, oh, it's my first time seeing live comedy. I'm a huge comedy fan. It's like, well, how can you, you know, how, how can you call yeah. yourself a huge right. comedy? You've never seen live comedy. I mean, it's so different. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, because li- mean, just in well, volume and size. I mean, because on TV, it's one sound level. Right. So you don't you don't get when the the comedian you know punches something up you know says it a bit louder or a bit softer you know for for comedic effect or or part of the storytelling you don't get that on TV and you get a, you know you're looking at a two inch little person on TV and a lot of comedians you know a big percentage of their act might be how engaging they are mm-hmm. you know like I remember seeing I'm dating myself again uh, like Mike McDonald Mike McDonald live is like a hundred times funnier. You know, whether he's your favorite comedian or not, he's just a hundred times funnier on stage. I mean, we used to see him and he would just command the room. And you can't do that as a two-inch figure on TV with the volume turned down low while by yourself sitting in your bed watching TV. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you mentioned the uh, the the Boston documentary. That's when stand-up stood out. That's such yeah, a, that's I think a great, that's the one. With Stephen Wright and yeah, all exactly. those guys. Yeah, was like you hear a lot of those stories where people would get paid in coke or whatever was that kind of happening did you experience any of that no i think that would have also been just before my time right i mean were 90 percent of the comedians stoned out of their minds and still are yes (laughs) (laughs) uh i think a lot of comics drink because most most uh, clubs offer free drinks for the comedians. That and it's such an angst, uh, like an anxiety driven thing. You know, you, you almost need something. To well, I mean, or... ironically, we're talking about the stage fright I have. Mm-hmm. I'm not a drinker or 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 a toker or a midnight, was... or a midnight smoker, as that's <laughs> the entire song would go. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to believe that I don't go on, you know, stoned or or drunk. But I know comedians uh, who shall remain nameless that that cannot go on stage mm-hmm. unless they're high or drunk like a, f- a friend of mine is like this is like a hilarious comedian uh he, i think he he he, does, he writes now i don't think he hardly performs live but he could only go on drunk yeah but 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 the um i didn't experience the big coke thing right back in my day i was actually gonna ask that about you because you are like I've done it, by the way, in every state. Drunk, high, whatever. And the best is by far sober. I mean, you're in control. It's such a hard thing to do anyway. Why would you want to inhibit any sort of sense uh, while you're up there? But 
yeah, I meant to ask you that. What has been your relationship, and why have you been able to to kind of steer clear of of getting wasted all the time or whatever? Because, like you just said, sometimes we're in a business that's so conducive to those things. We get paid in alcohol sometimes. Uh, you know, you get offered weed all the time. Right, you yeah. know. So how are you able to, is it because you're kind of like a, a goal-focused person and you always kept your eye on the prize or is it just something that you never, like, it never agreed with you? Or It's probably more practical than that. When I started doing comedy, I had a car. <laughs> so I'd get a lot of gigs because I could drive yeah. all of the other stoned and drunk comedians. Sadly, that wouldn't stop some people. I mean, Right, no, but I mean, I've always not wanted to be killed or thrown in jail. Yeah. And I've never, I didn't grow up being heavy into drinking, getting getting hammered or smoking a lot of pot anyway. Right. And I got into comedy probably later than a lot of comedians. I was already like 24 years old. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't in my prime, let's get hammered party, let's get stoned out of our minds, you know, maybe earlier 20s, you know, had I been three, four years younger, I'd already gone, plus I'd already gone to university for four and a half years. So I already did my partying, did my drinking, did, this was like, I, I took this, I took this seriously, and because of my stage fright, I didn't want to inhibit anything I was doing. I wanted to be on, you know, certainly on point. But I mean, getting back to what you said that you prefer being on stage uh, sober, I actually like being a little tipsy. Yeah, a little, I don't, a little I don't, bit of a buzz. Like yeah, a... yeah, I don't do it very often, but I find it loosens me up because of my stage fright. Right. But I will mess up a few words here and there. So yeah, not a white had like a glass of wine before. I like, was, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, most comics will be uh, drinking the beer and I'll have like a nice glass of red wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have a nice bath before yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> really relax. Um, so you said you were coming out of uh, university. What did you study in, in, in school? Uh, well, I ended up being a teacher because I ended up uh, teacher's college. So you went to teacher's college and you started doing stand-up. And at which point... Do you decide to make stand-up a thing where you're actually going to pursue it and give up the teaching thing? Well, I was I was uh, supply teaching. I got my teaching degree, and I started supply teaching the 86, 87 year. And uh, I started doing comedy Feb that February of 87. I was living with my cousin. And uh, I was teaching, supply teaching, I, because I went every single day, the dispatcher, like they do for cabs, called me every morning, like 6.30 in the morning. You're going out to so-and-so high school, teach geometry or whatever you teach uh and then i found out i could sleep in till noon and have another job and i'm like you know i'm not really a morning person yeah. i'm gonna do the comedy thing so i just i i transitioned out of i didn't go back to teaching in september and how long into comedy did you start making any sort of money that you could allow yourself that luxury of well, not going back well because of what you were talking about earlier it was still the end of the comedy boom mm-hmm uh, we started getting, I guess, started getting paid within five, six months. Started getting paid gigs. Because there was so many, there was, you know, they would throw comedy in every bar, every event, every O'Toole's, every Don Cherry's, every, uh, you know, you know, throw a comedian in front of, you know, there'd be dancing after us. Like a Club 54, we were talking about that show. Um, even when they weren't filming the show Thursday night, I think it was, or even was it Thursday? Yeah, the comedians would go on, they'd get rid of the comedians, and they'd start dancing. So, comedy is always is used for every bar, and and back then it was like everywhere, everywhere, and the money too. I mean, I've heard some comics that have been around say that the money stayed the same. So back then it was a lot more. Like inflate, comedy is one of those things where inflation had no effect on it's on the like, fees and the rates get that comics get paid. Well, it's like bar bands, right? That made a hundred bucks in the seventies for a gig. They make a hundred bucks now. 
yeah. it's never gone. There's, there's never been like, oh, you know, we're going to tie it to inflation. You know, let's, <laughs> it's going to go up 1.6% this year. No, yeah. a comedy gig is still a hundred bucks in a bar on a Friday night or whatever it is. Never gone up. So you're you're starting comedy. You're like in your first year and a bit, maybe two years. You're making some some cash. You're doing it a lot. I'm assuming. Like how many times a month or a week? Well, that up? was, uh, and I tell people that 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 was the luxury back then because it was still at the end of the boom. I uh, there was like four, three to four amateur nights a week on a professional comedy stage. I'm not talking about. Um, open mics. I'm not talking about open mics. Right. These were like amateur nights on a, at a comedy club. We could get on stage three, four nights a week. It was so much easier because I know amateur comedians now can get on, you know, once every six weeks they're trying to get on. Yeah, at a club. And then the other nights they have to go to open mics where there's like eight comedians and three right. people that had no idea there was comedy happening that night in the audience. Like, it's it's definitely a different landscape yeah. in that sense for sure. I mean, even even some of the amateur nights, the comics would outnumber the audience members. I mean, mm-hmm. we had... We had uh, plenty of shows where there was you know 12 comics on and eight people in the audience right and where were your like your parents and all this like were they supportive in your decision of like i'm not going to teach anymore this is what i'm going to do because there was such a boom and it was such kind of mainstream were they kind of like all right yeah just do your thing my 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 dad was more supportive of my mom my mom was more practical like well you can always go back to teaching you know <laughs> yeah. my dad was do what you love you know that kind of thing yeah. So uh, yeah. So half and half. But I mean, they ended up, you know, the the first time you actually perform in front of your parents is kind of exciting. I mean, they were divorced at the time, so it was individual nights. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know they get to say, oh, you are actually doing something. You're on a stage, and you know. How early on did they come see you? Wow. Uh, within the first couple years, I yeah. guess. I mean. You don't want to always drag your parents down to amateur night. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially you're you're worried about what the other people are saying on stage. You're not so much worried about your act because I, I mean you've seen my I'm fairly clean. Yeah, but you've got other people that aren't. And like I don't want my parents to see this. You know, I know these guys. What was the scene like in terms of competitiveness back then? Was there was it a supportive? Because there were I'm gonna guess there were less comedians. That's my flip phone. Oh okay. I was gonna guess I I'd guess there were less comedians back then there than there maybe now. There's like like 600 comics and well people that call themselves comics here in Toronto they do like one open mic and then all of a sudden a comic. They're a comic, yeah. Uh, but but was it kind of a supportive or was it competitive? What was the vibe? Uh, back then? Probably not hugely different than it is now. I mean, there was way less comedians, and we were like the same ten guys on every every amateur night, oh, the, the usual gang. And and there were three of or uh, three or four of us that would get together and write together. So I mean, obviously, there's camaraderie there if you're actually trying to help out your buddy. Um, but comedy's always been competitive, right? I th- I think, in my opinion. So it, it's, it's, you know, you, you want to do well, you want your friends to do well, but you want to do slightly better than them. Were you always so disciplined with your writing? Cause you do have, you seem like to have a, a pretty disciplined style of writing where it's, your jokes are very efficient. Uh, so you said you would get together with other people writing. Were you, were you pretty, uh, like diligent of, of a writing schedule or you just kind of did it when you had free time? Uh, not a writing, I'm diligent in my word each individual word that I put put mm-hmm. down to you know pen and paper, that's how old I am. Um, but not my writing. I only write inspirationally. I don't sit. I've I don't, I've never sat down to write in twenty nine years. I don't right. sit down. Okay, I'm going to write some jokes. Today. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go through my notebook. But I I usually most of my early writing, the first 15, 20 years, are 
trying to go to bed and just ideas pop in your head. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, as, as you know, comedians carry around a notebook or, or you know, and something you'll see something that, hey, you know what, that's some humor in what I just saw or what I just witnessed. So, who are the uh, who are some of the guys that were around back then? Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't even remember. Mark. Well, I, I mean, I started with Mark Farrell. Uh, let's see. I can look on your wall here. Brent. Hmm. Brent Butt. Yeah. Brent, Brent Butt back then. Uh, Andrew Carr. Um, he was from Calgary. Can't remember all the guys. Eric Tunney, who uh, passed away a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Um, actually, he was a bit, he was ahead of me. Lou Lou Eisen was MCing back there. Lawrence Morgenstern, who as I mentioned was mm-hmm. one of my first MCs. Can't remember all the uh, amateur guys that started. A lot, a lot of those guys still doing it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The old gang is still kicking around. I mean, last night I just worked with uh, Simon Rakoff, who's mm-hmm. been doing it longer than me, and you know we worked together at another club. Um, yeah, I mean he's been around like over thirty years. Mm-hmm. He's kicking around. When uh, and when did did like opportunities start happening for you as far as TV appearances and that kind of stuff? Like how early on did you get that kind of thing? Probably after about seven, eight years. Seven, I was eight in years. That, I was in a large group of comedians that were you know up and coming and doing really well, and you know. And what was your first TV appearance? Um. Oh, wow, I don't even remember. There was a. Eye on Toronto on CTV or something. Um, probably one of the Ben Guyatt things. Might have been Club 54 because there was three of them. Yeah, I was probably on an early one of that. That might have been my first TV thing. All right. Now that we're on the topic, uh, I want to tell you a story that uh, I've been meaning to tell you. Oh, right. So, the Club 54 story. Club 54. So I saw you. So I was a huge comedy fan growing up. Huge. I always knew I wanted to do it. And uh, But growing up in east, east on the East Coast in New Brunswick, just as at Moncton, there's no. I couldn't even begin to think where I would even ever do this. I, like I thought, I'll have to go. The closest place would be Montreal. I have to drive up, maybe do an open mic. I guess I, I had no clue. Right. So, but I would watch everything: comedy club fifty four, the just for laughs, the comics, uh, comedy now, all that kind of stuff. And I remember you specifically from club fifty four because of your your material. It was so fucking funny. And uh, my first ever time on stage, I don't count it as a time where I, I don't count it when I started stand-up. I started at 23, right. but I got up on stage at 17. I guess I was 18. It was first year of college. And uh, where the first year students would always do this thing every year where all the guys, well, a handful, I guess, would get dressed up as women and put on this pageant, right? Right. It was in French. It was called Amoiselle. So... Uh, which is like lady man, basically. And this was a full pageant. We're dressed in, in like women. You probably couldn't get away with doing that now. Right. <laughs> but, uh, and there'd be like a speech uh, and then like a talent portion or whatever. And my talent portion was stand-up. Now, I didn't know anything about writing material or even who wrote what or whatever. So most of my act consisted of Ellen DeGeneres jokes. Right. Who I thought was just, still, I think it's she's still hilarious. incredibly funny. Yeah. yeah. And I stole one of your bits <laughs> from a comedy club. No wonder you know before. my stuff so well. <laughs> <laughs> it was the um, the five stages of grief. Oh, wow. Right, where, can you, you don't have to do it, but just explain kind of the gist of the premise. It's, uh, it's funny because it, it originated back in high school when we were taking uh, our course on smoking. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember the the teacher saying that smoking raises your heart rate. And thinking back then that, oh, well, you could train. Smoking would actually get you in shape. Because <laughs> right. you want to raise your heart rate yeah, for right. training. Right. So that was like the germination. And that was in high school. That right. was like 10 years before I even thought of doing comedy or whatever. So that's how it originally, I like, there, you know, it was ironic that that something bad for you was actually would help you. Right. So that was like so the, that was the heart rate thing, and then I just came up with the, the yeah the five stages of grief because I took psychology in university, so I, I had covered the Elizabeth Kubler Ross mm-hmm. study, and I just thought <laughs> well that's like anything like I thought uh, you know the, the premise of the joke is that she's you know did this long study over many many years and she you know and the worst saddest thing ever people dying of cancer. She studied these people and found out that she goes through, that they all go through these stages that she came up with. And she's now this world renowned psychologist, you know, like because of this study where, oh, when they first they deny it. And then they're like, and the whole joke is that, well, anything bad happens to you, you go through this. And actually, I think IKEA has just stolen my joke because I I think I heard on the radio they've actually used my premise. No way. But a lady wrote a, uh, a book about uh, grief, mm-hmm. and she's quoted my joke in the book. I'm actually in the book, and no she's, she's given me like an autographed copy of the book. That's hilarious. So wh- what are the five stages of grief? There's Denial, mm-hmm. uh, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the bit is you go through those same... Five stages when you lock... I use... You lock your keys in your car. Right. And I did it. I did the... the, the uh, it was my B-roll on um, comedy now. We did a B-roll, so I actually did uh, locking the keys in the car. I did it as a as a skit, right? But uh, oh, right, oh, right, right, because they would throw these little sketches. Be- yes, be- yes. So like we did be- sketches when you come back from commercial. There'd be like, yeah, or, I did or- two. I did two sketches. Yeah, and one of them was the Elizabeth Kubler Ross thing. That's hilarious. I just think I just think that I mean that's my sense of humor. Yeah, that 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 she had done this huge study, became world renowned, and it's like anybody could have come up with this. You didn't <laughs> have to study people with brain cancer. Yeah. to realize that we all go through these five simple. We all go through the exact same five stages. Well, obviously we share the same sense of humor because I stole it. Right, and uh, did it did it that one time. Obviously, when I actually started stand up, I, I obviously did wrote it go all well? of my own, own material. How oh did, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I butchered it probably because. Uh, I didn't have a DVR or or there was a YouTube or anything back then, so right. I went on memory. I just remembered oh, you just that remember, bit. Okay. Yeah, I just remembered the bit. I remembered I had to look up the five stages, right? Because I, I remembered the pr- the premise basically. Right. So I didn't do it like word for word, but I remembered the premise, and so I looked up the five because I didn't know the five stages off by hand. So I looked them up and then just kind of pretty much did your brain right, just try to remember what i had done yeah oh yeah i did very very well i remember like i and i was reading the whole time i was reading from a like a like a like a lined page oh like okay so you're actually reading your material yeah i was reading right, okay for the most for the most part like some stuff i was uh, some once in a while i'd p- put a little reminder on the page to look up at the audience <laughs> so it wasn't even really stand up right, it was right. just like a humorous speech right almost. right oh, okay and i was dressed as a woman yeah. and uh yeah, got a lot of laughs. I remember, and a lot of the other material. So there was your your bit that I stole, and Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres. I remember seeing her a few months before that performance, and at the Orpheum Theater in Vancouver. This is like in her transition, uh, not like transition like people would know now. She she was a woman, but I mean be- between. Um, sitcom and talk show she was doing nothing basically yeah and she had come out and then she went on this world tour of theaters and the place wasn't even sold out right 
went to this little theater, Orpheum Theater in Vancouver, and we moved down, actually. We were balcony. We moved down a little bit, get better seats. And I could not fucking believe how funny she was. Oh, yeah. I worked with her. Really? In Toronto, yeah. No way. Yeah. Like, long before she was well-known. Right. Yeah. And just funny as... Oh, yeah. She's hilarious. Funny as can be. Yeah. I remember thinking, this is how you do it, and this is what I want to do, without a doubt. And I couldn't believe... But she does it differently, though. Her her patter, her her sense of humor, her material is not something that, I mean that that you do and I do that are completely different from what she does. Yeah, yeah. No, I just mean like like doing doing this art form oh, so yes, well, yes. like just yeah. really yeah. just yeah. knocking it out of the park. I, obviously, I, yeah. If you take that her mannerisms and whatever, it's clearly lifted from her. I mean, it's a pretty unique kind of style. Yeah, she's very unique. Like uh, uh, Jake Johansson, which I don't even know if you know. Yeah, they're compared comedian. a lot. Yeah, yes, absolutely. But it's a unique thing that they do and she's just so good at it it's yeah. just it's hilarious anyway so b- before and then the first time I, and then I never knew really it was you that, that did that bit until I saw you at Absolute years ago I think it was back when I worked the door in 2007 or something oh, like that oh you had forgotten who, had, who yeah. you had stolen it from yeah I remembered the bit <laughs> I, I loved the bit and I remember you started doing it on stage and I'm like holy shit it's Steve Levine Steve's the guy I took the bit from and I, and I remember <laughs> That's hilarious. I actually just I just ran into a guy. I was just on vacation, and a guy came up to me and he goes and he stops me. I'm like, I, does he think I work here or something? He goes, Are you uh, ever on TV? And I go, Once in a while. Why? Are you a comedian? I go, Yeah. He goes, Oh, I'm a big fan of yours. But then he goes, What's your name? <laughs> I'm like, Okay, that means you're not a big fan of mine. <laughs> <laughs> that just means you recognize somebody from TV. A fan, I think, should know your should name. Should know the name, yeah. yeah. Especially if you're going to be the president of the fan club, you should probably yeah. know <laughs> the name of the guy you're a fan of. Yeah. But he goes, yeah, I know that. I remember that bit that you do. And like, I go, oh, yeah, that's that's almost 30 years old, that joke. Uh, you are correct. Uh, well, a lot of your bits are, are like timeless in a way. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I don't have to write as much. You must kill at... I mean, you do in clubs and stuff. You must just annihilate at corporate corporate gigs. Is that your main bread and butter? Is that how you like? I it, it used to be, and I, I don't think anyone annihilates at corporate gigs. It's funny because I'll I'll watch I'll watch my favorite comedians online or whatever on YouTube, and you'll see them doing their 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 comedy specials on HBO or whatever, and they're just destroying because people are coming out to see them. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen a few clips where people have filmed them at their corporate event. <laughs> You know, I won't even I won't even say the comedian because because you watch comedians your favorite comedian you think wow they just destroy wherever they go yeah well, well yeah they do when their fans come out to see them true but when they're foist upon some group that doesn't even really care and hasn't paid a dime to be there uh, they don't do as well right because I saw one of my favorite comedians and I'm like yeah they're not listening to him <laughs> I go good thank you know and I. It made me feel better about myself right? because I've been in that situation. I'm like, okay, even the guys that are the best in the world that are absolutely amazing don't always get that same reaction. That Yeah, and I mean, corporate gigs can be so soul-sucking. They're not the most artistically yeah. um, fulfilling. I would get them a lot. Yes, it was my bread and butter because I'm a clean comedian. Right. And they don't want, you know, they don't want some, you know, dirty comic, you know, because I was... Uh, so I would get hired to do it. So I did. I did make. I did make a good living doing corporate gigs. Right. But not. An, but annihilating. No. Right. <laughs> Nobody annihilates at a at a corporate gig. You said you're good at stand up uh, as far as public speaking goes, but but nothing else. You don't like hosting or or whatever. 
But how do you, like in corporate gigs, for the first little bit, you almost have to talk about them. You have to, I mean, if, from what I've found, like you kind of find one little thing you can latch on to. Do you I, do that or do you go straight into your act when you do corporate I, gigs? I pretty much go straight into my act. I, I find in corporate gigs, it makes it a lot easier for myself when I... I include people. I just start talking to get their names and stuff, you know, find out who the president of the company is or, you know, and that's what I do. I mean, I'm still going to do my act. You know, in, in the end, they've hired me to do my act. Yeah, so that's, yeah, of That's course. what I do. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to come up with something right off the top of my head that, you know, because I'm such a meticulous writer. Right. It would take me, you know, eight months to come up with the perfect joke for that gig anyway, because <laughs> right. I'd go over it a thousand times right. just to get the wording right. So for me to get it immediately right off the top of my head, probably not going to happen. It, but it doesn't even take much at a corporate gig to uh, for them to feel included. Like, they'll give you one, like, pebble of information, like, oh, uh, Bob is bad at golf. And you go up and you're like, Bob, I hear you suck at right. golf. Yes. And that will yeah, get we, a yes. biggest applause break. Because they want to be part of the joke. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you can just go kind of go into your material. And then you go into your golf material or whatever. Yeah. What is your writing process? You, we've talked about it a little bit. We've touched on how meticulous you are. So do you, so you get inspired. Something happens in life. Like you were telling me that door bit. It actually happened to you. Uh, right. Where someone opened two, yeah. two doors in a row. And... And then what's the process? You write it down, just a couple notes, and then try it on stage? Or do you fully write out the wording and then try it on stage? And how many times will you try it on stage before you either keep it or shelve it or or decide what, what its fate will be? I'll think of the idea, mm -hmm. and then 10 years later, <laughs> I'll have it written out. <laughs> then about a year after that, I'll try and slip it in somewhere, yeah. the premise of it. It takes a long time for me to write something that actually gets in my act. Yeah, yeah. I have like, yeah, I mean, it's sad. I've got, I, and it's funny because I bring all this stuff I've written to like almost every show. I bring my standard list of my regular 40, 45 minutes that I'm going to do. And then I've got all these other jokes that I really, really want to do that I never get to. But everyone, you know, I will slip them in once in a while. But it's hard. I do a lot of headlining. Mm -hmm. And if you're if you're the last guy on the show there's you need to do well you know the club owners there the audience has paid good money you're the last guy on the show the comedians before you have done really well you don't want to stub your toe in the middle of your set you know hey you know you want to do your tried and true stuff it's doing well and you don't want to like all of a sudden throw something in and they're letting the audience is like what happened there that was weird that wasn't funny at all <laughs> i th well but but don't you think that in a headline set, you can kind of get away with that. It's so it's it's all right if there's a little bit of a lull for a minute or two, if you because because you can get that right them get them right back with your tried and tested material. Well, yes, but my but my my act is fairly structured and segued. Right. That it's sometimes it's hard to find a place to throw in, you know, talking about kitchen utensils while you're in the middle of your relationship material, like where to throw it in. I mean, that's, that's the problem I struggle with. I like to do it, um, like this week, for instance, uh, Tuesday was what was called a pro case. Mm -hmm. They just started it at, at yep. Absolute. Uh, so I threw in a couple new things there. There was less pressure. I was only doing 15 minutes. Everybody was kind of working on new stuff anyway. Uh, but last night was, uh, was the pro-am night. So it was professionals and amateurs. But I was closing the show. I was the ninth comedian on the stage. I think we talked about it or mm -hmm. something. Um, so it was, it was hard for me to do new stuff. And, and, uh, the guy on before me d 
destroyed the room. Like he killed. So I just can't go up there and start rattling off when, you know, Simon Rakoff's the MC. Oh, here, we're gonna, you're going to get a sample of this week's headliner. Right. You know, <laughs> here's a sample. Like, you know, <laughs> you'll see how amazing and funny and talented he is. Uh, so I got to go up there and do stuff that's going to do well. Right. So I didn't have, I didn't, I had more of a chance on Tuesday to do new stuff. Last night, which I wanted to do new stuff, I didn't really get a chance to do it. Had I been on in the middle of the show, uh, I probably could have done way more new stuff. Right. Well, I mean, it, and your opener, I mean, that, well, the opener I saw in Ottawa, that must be relatively new because you're not old That enough. is new. Right. The that tea, is the new. The T thing. Yeah that's, yeah, that's some of my newer material. Right. Which my material is slowly evolving into how old I'm getting. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's funny, I was on the show last night and, uh, and I actually was my, my first thing I joked about is there's a 27-year-old on the show going, well, I'm getting older now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, the 27-year-olds are doing I'm getting old material. <laughs> Leave something for us fucking 50-year-olds. <laughs> can, can you leave us the old material? By the way, I can't believe you're 50. Do you work out? Are you like? Uh, I, I, I'm in pretty good shape, actually. Yeah. I, I run. I try and exercise. And play it's hockey. funny because I do the opposite. In, in my act, I talk about how I'm not in shape. And Yeah, yeah. Do you, do, does that... Do you like to have your act be truthful or does it matter as long as it's funny? Like, I heard uh, someone say one time, I think it was Norm MacDonald say, your act can be truthful, but it doesn't have to be factual. So you can kind of, it, but do you, because you say you're not in shape in your act, but you're in great shape, obviously. So does that, does that, do you think about that a lot or do you just go, whatever? No, I think you can lie your ass mm -hmm. off on stage. I mean, I've, it's funny, I've been in a long-term relationship for uh, like 11 years. Yeah, and you say you're single on stage. I just haven't dating, written right? my relationship <laughs> material. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. It takes me 11 years. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be divorced by the time. As soon as I get divorced, I'll be, you'll hear all my marriage material. <laughs> because my, my material lacks, you know, it's an 11-year lag period. Right, right. There's a delay. When I actually wrote the stuff. So I'm still doing my single material. It's like when... Uh, when news stations talk to their correspondents in the Middle East and there's like big delay. Right. So your joke's on the Middle East, essentially. Yes. You're, you're here. There's a huge delay. In the news. Yeah, room. I know. I do all, because I've written my single material, get some jokes. So I've got to, yeah, I mean, I've, I've written my, I've written my relation, my, uh, in a long-term relationship material, but I haven't, it hasn't made it to the stage right. yet. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because, because people have different philosophies and, and, or whatever of, of, uh, how they approach things, but it was refreshing working with you. Uh, because you've been doing it so long and and the thought process like we think a lot the same when where we were dissecting our our sets after a show right would be we'd be like holy shit i was like a half hour in looked at the time and i thought fuck i'm done like i've done everything and it's so refreshing to hear someone oh that was oh now like, I, yes i remember that was i panicked like, like nine times that week yeah. i remember that <laughs> i kept thinking i i was because uh, uh, comedians like like yourself i'm sure you you like you hit that spot where you blank out mm -hmm. and you're like, I, there's nothing. And it's a millisecond on stage, but you think it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. You think it's been 10 minutes yeah. of you standing there. <laughs> like, and people are staring at you like, you know, and that throws you off your game. Like, cause you get tight, you tighten up, you tense oh, up in here and you're like, well, oh, that, fuck. Multiply that by 10 when you have stage fright. Right. <laughs> and, and you're standing on there and you're the, and you're the last guy on the show. Yeah. There's no one else to come. You know, the MC's in the washroom, <laughs> you know, like what are you going to get that? And you're just like, okay, so what do you want to talk about yeah. audience? And I go, I, I, you know I've lost my place when I run over a cat in my act. I tell people that all the time. If you hear me run over a cat, right? Because that usually that gets me into my animal material, my <laughs> my bits about that. 
and I know I've I can buy myself another three minutes. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, I've got that. So just run over a cat. Yeah. So it's funny. My friends that know my act really well. Oh, he has no idea what he's doing. He just ran over a cat. Uh, that's hilarious. Well, I could tell on the Sunday at one point because he said uh, I hadn't heard you say this all week, and at one point you paused and you're like. What else is going on? Right. Yeah, that's that's usually the comedians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What else is going on? So what else is in the news? What's happening? And you're so cool on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, what oh. the fuck do we have here? We oh. got to come up with yeah. something. My mind was just like racing. like. And when, and when you plow through your material like that, you drop tags or whatever, you just kind of tighten it even more. You can't go back to a premise that you just did. You can't be like, okay, I'm running out of time, but I dropped two tags. Let me add this punchline. Yeah, you remember what I was talking yeah. about before? It, yeah, it makes no sense. I yeah. know. Especially, I, as, as I said, my act is so segued. So once I've done my airplane chunk, I can't go right. back to, uh, oh, right, I forgot to do the thing about the food cart. I left that out, but I can't I can't slip it in now. And. And but having said that, even at uh, with an act such as as yours that's so structured and segued, segued, you can still learn uh, how to to. Because I remember you you had forgotten to do this chunk of one bit. I can't remember which one, but then you tacked it on to the end of something else, and it totally made sense. I don't know if you remember that. I think it was yeah. Like I mean that's Saturdays. that's uh, creativity and uh, that's that's experience. That's what twenty nine years of doing yeah. stand up. At least I, I'll. I've never not been able to eventually dig myself yeah. out of a hole. I remember we were talking a lot about how you're not even listening to what's happening or even your own voice. You're doing the material, excuse me, you're talking, and then in your head you're going, okay, what do I, what do, I do next? Oh, the, in, like, the inner dialogue is, like I said to you when we were there, like I, that's a part, the, that I would love to see or hear is the inner dialogue going on in a comedian's head because we're not listening to anything that we're saying. We're list, we're thinking about where we're going or how we're going to say it or why that waitstaff just dropped a glass yeah. in the middle of your punchline and you know you lost thirty five percent of your laugh because of it. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sakes! <laughs> yeah. And that's what you're thinking, but you're saying completely different things. Uh, what are your thoughts on? Um because I read that you you had commented on this of famous people that maybe work has dried up for them and they're whatever famous they're famous for and they decide to take their hand at stand up and decide to do because you've obviously dedicated your life to this you've been doing it twenty nine years and yeah we generally hate those people mm-hmm. I mean Bobbit went into comedy uh, who's the porn star I think yeah, did yeah. stand up I mean it se- it's it, it seems to be everybody's fallback. Like, oh, I'll just do stand-up. Oh, um, Skippy from uh, th- that show did stand-up. I was just, because I, I read up on an article that you were quoted in, and then I got into watching like Rob Schneider clips of him doing stand-up, which... But I think he was a comedian to start with. But I, I, I guess, but I get because he was mentioned in that article that you were in, in the Toronto Stars, one of the guys that, I don't know. Anyways, but... The whole thing, because that's that it is like a fallback plan, and because uh, people th- just think I'll go up and talk about what's happened to me, and they can get some laughs, they can get away with it, but it's not structured. There's not that discipline. There's not that fear of. of I don't. I don't know anyone that's that I can think of offhand that's become a very successful stand-up comedian as their fallback. You know, people will come out to see them like they would go see someone in the zoo. Like right. Right. Yeah. There's a guy that I used to see on TV, or, or that. Hey, that's the guy who got his cock cut off by his <laughs> wife. Like you know, 
but I don't think they go, wow, that guy was hilarious. Right. <laughs> He's the best stand-up there is. Yeah, it, did, it, it does kind of undermine what we do because it's so hard to, and there's so much pressure because when you don't have that, that zoo effect that people want to come just to see you because of who you are, then there's this immense pressure of you just got to make them laugh based well, on Well, yeah, we were talking else. about it before. You, your, your name gets called up and you and your family are the only people who have ever heard your name before. <laughs> and you're like, and there's an expectation of uh, making people laugh. Like, right. go. You're on. Let's talk, let's talk about uh, your comedy album. You recorded couple weeks back when we were worked together now uh, yes, it's in the in works album, as we speak yeah i waited you know, i thought you know it's 29 years time to record my album now in seinfeld style i said you were influenced but influenced by him yeah i think he was like 25 or 25 years in or something oh his, was it before he yeah well his i'm telling you for the last time is his only ever album oh okay and yeah uh, that's true yeah i guess there has never been a seinfeld uh, album before that that's right yeah and so do you foresee when do you foresee that coming out uh, as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. It's in the studio. Do you have a name for it? Yes, it was. Uh, it's uh, Steve Levine live from a comedy club in a city. That's good. I like it a lot. Steve Levine, thank you so much, man. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. We could easily do a two-part uh, episode because I could talk to you forever. There's so much we didn't get into, um, but uh, yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a I- slice. And uh, yeah, an entire loaf. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot, and watch your head. Such a beautiful waste of time. Waste of time. A beautiful waste of time. Waste of time. All right, and there you have it. Thanks to my guest, Steve Levine. That was a great episode. Thanks to you for listening. Always, I appreciate it to you and forever. Email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Like on Instagram, or Facebook, rather, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. And uh, follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. That's it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you tomorrow night at Via Norte Restaurant, 287-389. Holy shit. Just not in it today. 938 College Street. And uh, that's it. That's all. Have a good one. See you on Friday. And as always, watch your head. Down the street. The land is bitter. But the fallen is oh so sweet. It's just a waste of time. A beautiful waste of time. Just a waste of time The whole world wants a piece of my head But they all get a piece of my mind instead I roll over and go back to bed It's such a beautiful waste of time